Well, last week uh, in the, the message that I brought, uh, you might remember that I got uh, to talking about um, the West Coast Trail. And you'll see a picture. Well, this isn't a picture of the whole trail. It goes on for many, many miles. But uh, that's a little piece of it on the uh, west coast of uh, Vancouver Island. And uh, when I was doing this message last week, uh, Lee Straton, uh, that's Jen Snow's your father-in-law, it's Lynn, not Lee, Lynn Straton, uh, was sitting right over here to my left, and I, I just asked the question, I said, so has anybody here, here ever hiked the West Coast Trail? And uh, of course, he shot up his hand, and he's done it 18 times. If you know anything about the West Coast Trail, that is a, a, an impressive feat, uh, quite an accomplishment. Um, if the West Coast Trail is your destination... If you plan on doing that, there's someone in our church who's invited me to go next summer, uh, so we'll see about that. But if that's, your, if that's your destination, you need to prepare ahead of time. To take the West Coast Trail, you need to be physically conditioned for it, and you also need the right supplies, equipment, all the right hiking gear and everything else, and you can see kind of a, a bit of a list here on the screen. And so once you've decided to, that you're going to do the West Coast Trail, um, your journey begins long before you ever leave home and fly there to Vancouver Island. Well, the Christian life is like that. The whole of the Christian life is a journey towards our final destination, which is the kingdom of heaven. Our entire orientation towards life as Christians, our focus is on preparing ourselves for the kingdom of God that will one day come in fullness. We will be with Him forever. Not in this age, but in the age to come. And when Jesus trained His 12 disciples, um, He was preparing them for the kingdom of God. If you read the sermons of Jesus, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even the book of Acts, the early church, they preached about the kingdom of God the kingdom that God has promised us. And Jesus took His disciples on a journey, a pilgrimage towards the kingdom of God. They followed Him everywhere. They devoted themselves to His teaching, and they learned His way of life. But on this journey of discipleship, something happened. They spent three and a half years with Him when they followed Him. They were transformed. They were changed. And you can read about it in the book of Acts. They also changed the world. So discipleship is a journey of transformation. Folks, that's why we're here. We're not here on earth just to believe in Jesus and wait for Him to come home, and that's it. Yes, we must believe in Him. But we are on a journey towards His kingdom, and it's a journey that requires preparation. And it's a journey that when we take it, we are transformed. Have you changed in the last year, in the last 10 years? Are you the same person today that you were back then? I hope each one of us can say, I've grown. I've grown deeper. I'm still the same personality but God has worked on my character and my convictions 
and he's transformed me in the process. Jesus told his disciples, he said, go and make disciples of the nations. He said that. One of the final things that he said before he ascended to heaven, he said, go and make disciples. And he's saying that not only to them, but to all of us. A disciple is a student and a follower of Jesus, someone who is devoted to his values, to his way of life. And every single one of us in this room, if you call yourself a Christian, you are called to be a disciple, but you're also called to make disciples of others. And there's all kinds of verses, and I quoted them last week, lots of passages in the Bible that describe the Christian life as a path, as a journey that we walk, a race that we run. But actually, life in general is a journey for everybody. Even if you're not a believer today, if you've come here today and you're, uh, maybe you're a little skeptical about God, about the Bible, about Christianity, you're still on a journey. Before I became a Christian in 1974, I was on a journey away from God. I didn't realize that. I didn't believe in Him, but I was actually going on the wrong path in the wrong direction. But then I started going to church, and I was spiritually awakened. I was not yet a Christian. I had not yet come to a place of faith in my life. But I was awakened, and I became curious about the Bible. I became curious about Jesus and God. And then I was in search of the right path. I I said, God, if you're there, reveal yourself to me and show me your path. Now my life is a journey with God. Not away from him, not a journey towards him, but a journey with him. Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So I was saved and baptized in spring of 1974, and I did what most Christians do. I got really busy in church. I I did all the things that church people do, and I got on the board. I I was on committees, and uh, I taught Sunday school. I was a bus captain, and I invited kids to come on the Sunday school bus. And so every Saturday morning, I'd go out there, and I would knock on doors and invite kids to come to Sunday school, and we would pick them up the next day. And I got really, really busy doing church. And I got so busy doing church that I really didn't have enough time for the kind of relationships that God wanted me to build. I had relationships everywhere. How many of you have more than 100 friends on Facebook? Yeah. doesn't mean you got friends, right? It doesn't really mean you got friends. You, you, you know a lot of people. They may know you. But you know what? Somebody once said, I think it was Gary Smalley, the author, and he said, it's all about relationships and the rest is just details. You, th- you think that's right? It really is. It is about relationships. Life is about relationships. But it's also about the quality of those relationships, Are we paying attention to the people around us here in church, in our own families, in our neighborhoods where we live and work and play? And I have to say, I really wasn't paying the right kind of attention to those relationships because God called me to make disciples. And I I can't really say through many decades of my Christian experience, even as a pastor, that I was really making disciples. So the journey towards transformation, becoming like Jesus, um, is not an easy road. Because, you know, when I read the Bible, I open this book, and it is like a mirror. Because when I look at this book, I see a reflection of myself. 
I see God's will for my life, and I see myself for who I am, and I don't always like what it says to me. And there's times I'm, I'm, I'm tempted just to shrug it off um, or to explain it away and say maybe that's really not what it means because maybe the truth is too hard for me to handle. But I have to tell you that God intended for me to be a disciple and to make disciples of others and to take His Word, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, seriously in my life. And that isn't always easy. So I want to ask you a question. How are you doing at making disciples in your life? Can you right now name one, at least one person that you could say, I am being an influence in that person's life, a good influence, an influence for Jesus, that my light is shining upon their path, and I'm doing it on purpose. I'm aware of it. It's not by accident. I'm intentionally waking up in the morning to say, Lord, who do you want me to disciple today? Who do you want me to mentor? Is there somebody here in my life today that I'm going to interact with that you want me to make a difference in that person's life? Do you wake up and do you do that on purpose? Who are you helping to experience transformation into the likeness of Christ? Because that's really what it's about. Are you a devoted follower of Jesus? You yourself. Are you being transformed? Because the goal of discipleship, if you're a follower of Jesus, it says you're following him. You're following his manner of life. You follow his teaching. You do what he says. Jesus once said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I say? And if we say Jesus is Lord, I'm following him. He's my Lord, my master, my teacher, my mentor. Then it means we need to become like him, transformed into his likeness. That's the goal of discipleship. Who's discipling you? Not only who are you discipling, but who holds you I'm going to use the A word, accountable. Accountability has become such a negative word in our culture, like, ugh, accountability, I hate that. Because people get the wrong idea about it. They think it means that, you're, you know, you're going to get your hands slapped if you step out of line. And that's not at all what Christian accountability is about. Christian accountability means that we encourage each other. It means we watch each other's back. It means we exhort each other to love and to good deeds, to become more like Jesus. And it's like saying, hey, how are you doing in your life? spiritually. Um, Are you having your devotions? Oh, really? That's too bad. Well, can I help? You know, uh, how's your prayer life? How's your marriage? You know, how are your relationships? That's accountability. Interesting. Um, Many of you might know the story about Mark Driscoll, Pastor Mark Driscoll. Anybody know about him? He started Mars Hill Church in Seattle many years ago. Uh, maybe the fastest growing church in the United States at the time, one of them, it became huge, like 14,000 plus people. And Mark Driscoll, as a pastor, famous pastor, um, you know, known globally, uh, fell from grace. Not because of infidelity, marital infidelity, not because he was dishonest, but because he was abusive. He was a bully. He was too harsh. And, and, And people knew it. And the problem is, is that when you get to a place in your life where nobody can hold you to account, there's a problem, folks. And pastors, people like me, I need to be held to account. I'm not above, I'm not a, a, above admonition or correction. And so the fact is we all need somebody 
Who's watching our back? Who's watching your back? Who's looking out for you? Who's asking you some of the hard questions in love to say, how are you doing in your walk with Jesus? We don't have enough of that in the church. We just hope everybody's doing okay. Well, I, I, so here's the thing. If I raise my voice just now, I'm raising it up myself. Uh, I, I was sitting with some pastors, and, uh, you know, they're lamenting, you know, like, you know, our church, um, you know, they, they don't want to grow, you know, and um, our people don't listen, and they don't want to follow, and it's like herding cats and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I remember they were, they were sitting around, and there was a bunch of complaining, and I actually said, Lord, give me the courage to say what I need to do, and I usually don't, but this one time I did, and I said, you know what? I believe that God's people will follow if a shepherd will lead them. I absolutely do. And I think if, if, if God's people, if the flock of God is not following Jesus as they're supposed to be, and if we're not being discipled and discipling others, it's the pastors who have that responsibility. I have to say to you, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know what? So here's one of the, uh, the, the, the great insults that people level at Christians. They say, you know, Christians are all sheep. They're just stupid sheep. They're all dumb, stupid sheep. And they need a shepherd to guide them. And I go, that is an, a real insult to congregations. I go, you know what? They're really smart people. And a lot of them have a much higher IQ than I do. And there's a lot of really smart people in these churches. But you know what? Spiritually, we're stupid. Spiritually, we're stupid. You know, when Jesus was with his disciples, they knew how to fish and build things and do all kinds of stuff. You know, and Judas was probably the smartest of the bunch. You know, and, and uh, they knew a lot of stuff. They weren't stupid people, but in the spirit, they were stupid. Because without the Spirit of God, you cannot understand the things that come from the Spirit. You, you can't know the things of God unless He reveals it to you. Spiritually, we're stupid. Jesus said to His disciples, how long must I be with you and you still don't understand? How many times did He tell them that He would have to die on the cross and rise from the dead? They didn't get it. And so when it finally happened and He died on the cross, they thought it was over. Even after He warned them and told them. And it wasn't until... He opened up their minds to understand. So spiritually, we're dumb. And so am I. All of us are. We need Him to reveal these things, to illuminate our minds. And the thing is, it's my responsibility as a pastor, and it's your responsibilities as board members, as leaders in the church, as life group leaders, small group leaders. If you're, if you're a person who has responsibility over people, if you work with children, youth, whatever it is, you are a shepherd to those people. And God's depending on you to make sure that the people over, that, that you have authority over, that, that they're being discipled and discipling others. And so that's what the church is here for. So here's First Church's mission. Making Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and a passion for people. Can we all say that out loud? I'd just love to hear you say it out loud, okay? I didn't make this up. This came as a collective uh, enterprise. Okay, anyway, everybody, making, making Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and a passion for people. Now, I've had people say to me, Brian, I think about three years ago, 2016, didn't you talk about all this stuff and you talked about discipleship and all this? And Well, what's happened? Like, it's, it's not happening, is it? And I'm going, absolutely it is. 
And if you didn't think it was happening, and if you thought nothing was changing, it's not your fault. It's actually, I think, I actually take the responsibility to say, I have to help everybody connect the dots. Because I see the whole church, because this is what I do. You've got other stuff to do in your life, right? And you've got jobs and careers and all that kind of stuff. And I need to help you connect the dots. Have you ever heard me talk about the prayer summit? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. Have you ever heard me talk about the Hearing God seminars that we do for six weeks? Ever heard me talk about Set Free Retreat? The leadership network that we started back in the spring? How about the How We Got Our Bible seminar with Stephen Pridgen? Let's Talk Money seminar that Ivan Wong and, and his colleagues led us in back in February. Our life groups. Our youth group. How about preteen ministry and Awana that is just starting for kids? we got 55 kids right now registered for Awana. And this is just our first year. Yeah. And the, the, the vacation Bible school that we did. I did a, 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 a Bible challenge last year where I invited a bunch of people to, help, to, to read through the Bible with me and memorize Scripture in that. I'm going to relaunch that this month. How about the fact that we started a new thing, and, and you know, we're not doing any of this perfectly, okay? And, and we do fail, but we're, we're doing this. And here's the... Th- what I try to say is when we preach a sermon, it's not just a sermon. It's a call to action. Last week, if you were on our email uh, contact list, you got an email from me, I think on Monday, and it was really following up from the sermon saying, at the end of the sermon, I gave you a challenge, and I just wanted to, uh, to remind you to do those two things and ask yourself, who do I see? Why am I here? Those two questions. And I actually got responses back from people, which was fantastic. And if I have time today, I might share a couple of those with you. Um, It is happening. Discipleship is what the church is all about. And this is a journey of transformation. But we have to, on this journey, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to drift off the path, to, to get off on detours. Ancient Israel hit some detours when they were on God's path. Um, and so whenever God's people in the Old Testament got off the path, what did God do? He sent his prophets. One of the prophets that he, that he sent to them was Jeremiah. And God sent Jeremiah the prophet to pronounce judgment on the southern kingdom of Judah, God's people in Judah. And they didn't want to hear what he had to say. But he was calling his people to straighten up, to repent before it's too late. And so you'll see this passage of Scripture here, Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah the prophet says, Stand at the crossroads. You're at a crossroads. You're at an intersection. And look. Ask for the ancient paths. Say, God, where are the ancient paths? Which way is the way that I should go? Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. He was really telling them to stop. And I want to ask you this morning, just to stop for a second and do an inventory of your life spiritually. Maybe you could just do that tomorrow morning when you get up and you're having your devotions or whenever you do that. Would you just do something and just say, God, I'm just going to stop And then he says, look. Stand at the crossroads and look. And then he says, ask for the ancient paths. Stop, 
look, and listen. Because if you ask God, God, which is the way I should go? How am I supposed to live this life? Then if you ask him, then you need to listen to what he's trying to say to you. And God will whisper in your ear through his Holy Spirit, and he will show you the way. And I love what this passage says. You know, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. The good way. Do you believe that God's way is a good way? I do. It's the best way. Do you believe that if you were to live your life doing the Ten Commandments, that that would be the best possible way to live life? I do. And I don't mean just the letter of the law. I mean really the intent of what they're about. That if you were to meditate upon God's Word, really to dwell upon it, to think about it, and say, God, teach me. Like when you read your Bible, read it as an act of worship. Read it knowing that I am in the presence. I'm, I'm like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus is my teacher, and I'm saying, Lord, teach me, feed me, change me, transform me. There's, there's a certain approach that we need to have to God if we're to be His disciples. But we need to believe that it's good. His way is good. Now, the ancient paths does not refer to the good old days. <laughs> It doesn't refer to a better era in the church. It doesn't refer to tried and true methods, not at all. Because what we read in the Bible is God's all about doing a new thing. In terms of methods, in terms of strategies, God, you know, He, he helps us to be innovative, to, to do things outside the box. Culture's changing. The world is changing, and we need to adapt with that. That's what Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I've become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. I'll do anything I can to reach people for Christ. John Wesley did that 300 years ago. He would do anything to reach, even really unconventional methods, to reach people for Jesus Christ, to disciple people. You know, and, um, and so the ancient past just refers, really, to the life and t- for us, the way we would understand this in the New Testament now, is that that is the life and teaching of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's what we find written. That's the ancient paths. It's not a particular method or type of church or tried and true methods. He says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 86 where in verse 11, the psalmist says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. And it's a prayer that I pray often. Sometimes when I feel a little bit lost, when I feel maybe I've gotten off on a detour, I say, Lord, teach me your way, that I may walk in your truth. You see, it doesn't matter if we stand and look and then listen, and we know, okay, this is the way to go, this is the path, if we don't walk in it. We can't just look at it We need to walk in it. Discipleship is a journey of transformation. As we walk down that path, we find that we ourselves are transformed. And so, this is a a, a journey. Um... of transformation. As we walk this journey and we keep our eyes fixed on the kingdom of heaven, as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, because he already finished the journey. 
it should encourage us to make the most of the journey. So I'm going to give you three things here, and then we'll come to a close, and I'll make these quick. How do you make the most of this journey that you're on right now? First of all, there's lessons that God wants to teach us along this journey. The way that I interpret my experiences, all the things that I observe in life, um, these are lessons that God wants to teach me. Um, If you know that God is with you on this journey and that God can work all things out for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, that means even if you have a miserable day, and everything goes wrong. Even if you have a bad month or a bad year or a bad decade, you know that God can redeem it all. And you say, God, what lessons do you want me to learn? It doesn't mean God's punishing you, but it does mean he's teaching you. He's teaching you. Everything that God does is to teach us, to teach us what are the lessons. That's one of the ways that you make the most of the journey, is how are you interpreting those things that happen in your life, the good and the bad. The second thing is God wants to form your character. Uh, Not only is it about the lessons you learn, but it's about the person you become on that journey. You see, God doesn't want to just teach you lessons. He wants to deepen you. He wants to transform you so that you become more like Jesus. God has a beautiful way of taking all the adversity in our lives, um, our own sins, our failures, our disappointments, our sicknesses, our injuries, um, our suffering. God has a way of taking all that and using it to transform us and to deepen us. Um, You know that poem, Footprints in the Sand? You'll see it come up on the screen, and you don't have to worry about reading it. But it's, it's a poem that many people know. But he's saying, you know, I had a dream, and I was walking along the beach with my Lord, Jesus And there was two sets of footprints, mine and his. But then there were points along that journey when there was only one set of footprints. And I wondered, Lord, why when I needed you the most, why would you leave me? And the Lord said, my child, I love you. And I would never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And That's one of the ways that God develops us in our character. There's times when he has to carry us. You know, everything that you're going through right now, no matter how bad it gets, there's lessons to learn, but there's also a character that God wants to deepen. And then the last thing is, God wants us to influence other people along that journey. It's about the people I influence along the way. It's not just about you and who you're becoming but it's about who you influence along the journey. And so the journey is about the lessons I learn, it's about the person I become, and it's about the people I influence along the way. I want to just skip to the end here, and don't worry about the slides there, John. But I want you to take a look at that slide again where I have the passage, Jeremiah 6.16, where he says, ask where the Ancient paths are the good way. Walk in it and you'll find rest. But you said we will not walk in it. We will not walk in it. That was their legacy. 
they refused, and they chose a destructive path. You always have the choice before you to follow him or to not. To choose the good path or to choose your own path. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. The way that might seem right to me doesn't lead to life. His way leads to life. So stop. Take a look at all the paths before you. Look and listen to what he says to you. Last week, we ended with a challenge. And I asked you to do two things. Ask yourself two questions. And I'm going to give you that same challenge again today. When you're out there in the world, when you're at work, when you're shopping, wherever you might find yourself, maybe in the playground, maybe just walking down the street, ask yourself, why am I here? Am I here just to do my thing? Am I here only for myself? When I go to Walmart, am I there just to shop and get what I want and get out as quickly as possible? Or might God have something else in mind for me? Why am I here? Yesterday, I was sitting on my deck yesterday afternoon, and I had a lot to do, and I was really focused, and I was working hard, and I felt a presence come up behind me, and I jumped. I was startled, and it was my neighbor across the street, Mike, and he was standing there, and he was letting me know that they're flying on a trip to Europe on Tuesday and wanted to know if we could get their mail and if I could mow his lawn and that sort of thing. Well, I was hoping he would leave because <laughs> I had work to do. I said, sure, Mike, I could do that. He stood there for about 30 to 40 minutes, and Colleen was there as well. She could attest to that. He stood there, and we chit-chatted for 30 to 40 minutes about stuff. And everything in me. I know, how to get, I know how to get out of a conversation. I've gotten pretty good at that, if I need to. But what I felt the Holy Spirit was saying to me is, Brian, pay attention. Stay in the moment. Don't rush this. Just build a relationship. We are reaching out to this guy and his wife. We want to reach them. We have other neighbors. Why am I here? I was, God maybe had another purpose for me sitting on my deck. That's hard for me, folks, and I know it's hard for some of you. Who do I see? Do I see him? Do I see that person? Look at this picture of a crowd here. You know when you're walking downtown Calgary, you're walking in a crowd or in a shopping center, and we see all these nameless faces before us. Do we see people? When you go shopping, do you see a cashier, a clerk? When you sit in the restaurant, do you see just a server? Or do you see a person for whom Jesus died? And what I'm asking God to do is say, Lord, you've called me to make disciples. And that begins with reaching people that don't even know you yet. They don't even know about you. They don't know about this good path, this good news. Am I willing to stop what I'm doing and to look and to listen to what you're saying so that you can use me? That's my encouragement to you today. Would you do that? I heard from two people this week, and I'm just going to read you one, and then I'm going to close. And uh, Jim Snyder, I don't know if Jim is here or not. Is Jim here? 
But Jim Snyder, uh, who's been a longtime member of this church, he received the email I sent out on Monday. And I said, Jim, could, you, could, you read, could I read this? And he said, sure. And so when he got the email about asking those two questions, why am I here, who do I see? He said, as I dressed this morning in some work clothes, that must have been Monday, to build another pallet to store the pier poles, Judy said, that denim shirt is awfully dirty. Why don't you put on a clean one? And I responded that it would soon be dirtier and headed outside. As I was wrapping up the project, a neighbor a couple of lots over came down the public path beside ours, and I stepped out to chat with him. We were talking about shutting down for the season and trading experiences about removing boat lifts and piers. When he suddenly said, hey, he saw the shirt, the dirty shirt. He said, I went to that camp when I was 12, 13, and 14. The denim shirt was the one bearing the Camp Harmattan logo. We spent the next 20 minutes in a delightful conversation focused on a very fond time in his youth. And I look forward to his next assignment, God's next assignment, with this man and his family who have a little girl. God is delighted when we take time and make time for people. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. And Father, I do thank you that you sent your son Jesus to show us how to walk this journey. He did it with the 12. And he told them to go and make disciples. And now you're sending us as well to do the same. And Lord, would you show us the way? Lord, through your word and through obedience to your word and the things that you say in the pages of this book, the Bible, we can find your way. And Jesus, you said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so, Father, I pray today that you would help us as we leave this place to know, Lord, why we are here that we are here as those who are sent into a world that desperately needs Jesus. Help us, Lord, to see who you see and to make time and to transform everyone and everything around us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.